Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Well, it's a Republican wave that is sweeping the nation. Of course, it skipped over my state of Connecticut. But nonetheless, the Republicans now have a majority in the U.S. Senate, 52 seats. In the House, they actually gained four seats. They have a 65-seat majority now in the House of Representatives. You know, it's very ironic. The Republicans won the U.S. Senate because the voters believe the economy is very weak. Yet gold prices continue to slide. Early this morning, gold prices down thirty dollars, uh, under eleven forty. Silver down over eighty cents. Uh, these are new multi-year lows, but investors are selling gold and buying dollars because they're convinced the economy is so strong. You know, if you look at the exit polling, seventy percent of voters said the economy is bad. Seventy percent and seventy-five percent said the economy is headed in the wrong direction. Now, there's only two directions, right, up and down when it comes to the economy. So 75% of the voters who cast votes said that the economy was going down. Down is recession. Up is recovery. Only 25% said the economy was recovering. Actually, I'm not even sure. I know 75% said it was going down. So which is it? Investors are convinced there's a recovery. The Fed is convinced there's a recovery. The data, right, unemployment is the lowest it's been in eight years or six years, whatever it is, 5.9%. We've had the best economic growth, according to the media, in 10 years in the last two quarters. We've got plunging gasoline prices. The economy couldn't be better as far as Wall Street is concerned, as far as the pundits are concerned. As far as the currency traders are concerned, as far as the Fed is concerned, but the voters express their concern. They're living in the real economy, not the fantasy economy. And so they are voting for Republicans out of frustration. It's not because the nation has had a big shift to the free market, you know, or, you know, limited government. In fact, One of the main reasons, in fact, the main reason probably that the Republicans did as well as they did. And plus, they also picked up some governor's races, again, not here in Connecticut, but in other states. And one of the reason is they ran very moderate candidates. They made sure that any of the small government, you know, quote unquote, Tea Party type candidates, they lost in the primaries. So the Republicans ran a slate of center moderate Republicans where you can barely tell the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats. And so the races were not run on substantive economic issues, but basically a referendum on Obama, meaning a referendum 
on the economy, which was lousy. And despite the media's best efforts to spin it positive to help elect Democrats, the voters weren't buying it and they voted Republican. Also, the health care problem was a factor with health care costs rising, the failures of Obamacare. And also you had, I think, the Ebola scare. Obama was so unpopular that the Republicans were even able to blame Obama for Ebola. And so I think uh, that also helped to to clinch these victories for Republicans. But look at the fact that five states voted to increase the minimum wage, including right, including Arkansas and South Dakota. And Arkansas and South Dakota were two states that had Democratic incumbent senators who lost to Republican challengers. Yet the same voters who voted in Republican senators also voted to raise the minimum wage. So these voters were not voting for less government. They were voting for more government. They just want more government from the Republicans because the more government they got from the Democrats wasn't doing it for them. So they want to give these moderate Republicans a chance to bring home the bacon, right? They're voting for more stuff from government. This is not a big Reagan revolution uh, where the country is now having a big shift in philosophy. It's just that the economy is so lousy that they want change, but they don't want less government. They just somehow want uh, a better economy, but they don't realize that you need less government to get it. And the only way they can express their frustration was to vote for the Republicans because Obama was the face of the bad economy. So whatever their frustrations were based on their lack of ability to get a job or the rising cost of living or the fact that they got a part-time job, all this, they, they, they basically voted for the Republicans. Now, a lot of people are excited about this, right? The stock market, we're going to rally. You know, dollar is up this morning. Gold is down. Uh, people are very excited that somehow this is going to be good for the stock market because it means that, you know, we're going to have a more business friendly, a more free market friendly Congress. No, we're not. You know, the players may be slightly different, but the game has not changed. What do all of these senators want who are now in the majority? Right? The Republicans now are going to get the fancy offices. They're going to get the power. And now that the Republicans have power, what do they want to do? They want to keep it. How do you keep power? Well, by selling influence, peddling influence, giving the voters what the voters think they want. They're not going to have any substantive market-based free market reforms. In fact, you know, again, it's an example of be careful what you wish for. I think the best thing that has happened to the Democrats is losing the Senate to the Republicans, not for the current Democrats who are in the Senate. Obviously, they don't want to be in the minority. But I'm talking about the 2016 elections, particularly on the presidential side. I think the Democratic nominee, whomever he or she likely will be, right, is now going to have an advantage that wouldn't have been there had the Republicans, or the rather had the Democrats, maintained control of the Senate. And why do I say that? Because normally you would think, well, isn't it going to make it easier to win uh, the presidency with more uh, governors that are 
um, Republican and more senators? Couldn't they help influence the voting? I don't think so. Because remember, the economy is weak, right? That's why the Republicans won. But it's going to get weaker in the next two years. In fact, when people vote in the 2016 election, I think things will be a lot worse than they were when they voted in uh, the 2014 election. So if 75% of the people think the the economy is headed in the wrong direction now, that number might be 90% by the time voters show up in the polls in 2016. And what is the one institution that's more unpopular than President Obama? And that's Congress. Now, the unpopularity of Congress uh, wasn't big enough right, to overcome this time the frustration over Obama. And so the Republicans prevailed. But that's because they didn't control Congress. They just had the House. But now the Republicans own Congress which means they own the economy as far as a lot of voters are concerned for the next two years. So think about this. The media is talking about how great the economy is now because of these BS numbers, because of the stock market rally, because of what the Fed is saying, they're ending QE, and because they wanted to help reelect Obama because they were hoping that Obama would get credit for the good economy. Well, now, as the economy is going to roll over into recession next year, Think about that. Wait a minute. The economy was great until the Republicans came in and took over Congress, and now it's in recession. So now the media and, of course, the Democrats can blame the renewed economic weakness on the Republican-controlled Congress, the obstructionists in Congress who are preventing all these good policies from taking effect, right? Hey, we no sooner did we elect these Republicans— then this great recovery that Obama had helped create blew up, right? I mean, I can see that story uh, playing out on the campaign trail. We were headed in the right direction, and now we backtracked. You know, we had all this economic growth. The unemployment rate was coming down. The economy was recovering. And now we changed horses midstream. We put the Congress back in the hands of the Republicans, and that's why we're back in recession. And so President Obama's popularity— can increase in the next two years, even as the economy weakens, because he can blame the renewed weakest on Congress. He now has an enemy. He now has something. He had nothing before because the the Democrats had the Senate. So now we've handed President Obama an issue that he can use, right, by constantly blaming Congress for stuff. And his popularity can increase even as the economy weakens because that will be considered uh, a Republican problem. And I think this is also going to work well for the Democrats in the 2016 election because now, again, it's not going to be the Democrats who own the bad economy. It's going to be the Republican-controlled Congress that is responsible for the renewed recession, the relapse into recession. And that's going to be the narrative that they're going to run on. And and it could be, the backlash could be that not only do the Democrats win the White House in 2016, but maybe they take back the Congress as well. So this is not, you know, something to be celebrating the fact that we've got these moderate Republican rhinos who won these Senate seats because they were really indistinguishable from their Democratic opponents. The only thing that distinguished them is they could run against Obama 
and their Democratic opponents could not. In fact, most of these uh, Senate races, they didn't. They, Obama didn't even come into the state. That's how unpopular he was, uh, and so he had to stay away. You know, one of the things I thought that was ironic here in Connecticut, the governor of Puerto Rico, where I am headed later today, uh, came up to Connecticut to campaign for Malloy. And who knows? I mean, maybe it was effective. Maybe he swung the Latino vote because it was a tight race. This repeat of the 2014 race, uh, very close. uh, But again, Malloy uh, victorious. And so the governor of Puerto Rico was here campaigning. Now, you might think, why does the Puerto Rican governor want to reelect Malloy? I mean, you could say, well, he's a Democrat. But I don't think that's the real reason. You see, Puerto Rico, you know, the new Act 20 and 22, and if you don't know about these new acts yet, go to uh, the website ustaxfreezone.com, ustaxfreezone.com, and look at a video that I produced with Doug Casey on the benefits of Americans moving to Puerto Rico. And I think what the governor understands is that the majority of the people who have been relocating to Puerto Rico from the mainland have been coming from the Northeast, coming from Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, to get out of not only the high federal taxes, but the high state taxes. You know, Nicholas Prouty, if he's one of the people that was interviewed uh, in the in, in the uh, video that you can see at U.S. Tax-Free Zone, very wealthy guy from Greenwich, Connecticut, moved to um, Puerto Rico. And so what does the governor of Puerto Rico, why does he want Malloy? Because he knows Malloy will turn up the heat. Now that he's been reelected, he can really sick, stick it to the rich, right? Re- really increase their taxes, right? Turn up the screws, which means that's extra motivation for successful Connecticut businessmen to pick up, pull up their stakes and move down to Puerto Rico. So he's really campaigning when he comes up here trying to help ruin the Connecticut economy that feathers his own nest. Because the worse the thing is, the worse it gets here in Connecticut, the more people are going to come down to Puerto Rico to help improve the Puerto Rico economy. Of course, he doesn't come out and say that, but clearly that was what he was trying to accomplish. And so from his perspective, it very well could be mission accomplished. Meanwhile, we got some more economic news out this morning. Earlier this morning, we got news that U.S. loan applications to buy homes slipped yet again, uh, the lowest level since February. And again, this is with mortgage rates still near record lows and the Fed still doing QE, uh, yet the housing market continues to deteriorate. And that is going to be a big story in 2015 is going to be the renewed weakness in the housing market, not just in purchases and construction, but prices. I think prices are going to start declining in 2015. Now, we got some preliminary, a preliminary look at Friday's uh, non-farm payroll report. We got the ADP report. And to me, this report, generally, I think they just try to come up with a number that they think is going to be in line with what the government is going to officially report. So I've kind of found that ever since this uh, you know this series came out, this ADP number, that it's generally been worthless. And they end up you know revising whatever they come up with in order to get to be in line with what the government's numbers are. So I don't really see the value of this particular survey. But they were looking for 230,000 jobs created. 
And that is exactly the number. They actually hit it, you know, exactly. They were looking for 230,000 jobs and 230,000 jobs is the number that was created. Also this morning, we got the Gallup U.S. Job Creation Index, which slipped a bit from the prior month. It was at 30, and now it's down to 27 for October. So last month, we were at a six-year high in that Job Creation Index, and so we slipped, but we're still at a relatively high point. But again, what is the nature of the jobs? Yes, we have been creating jobs all year, but as I said it's not the you know, quantity, but the quality. You've got to look at the quality of the jobs, the type of jobs that are being created. And again, these are generally low-paying jobs in the service sector, whether it's in retail services or hospitality, hotel, restaurant, uh, healthcare, you know, workers. Uh, they're low-paying jobs. Many of them are part-time or temporary jobs. That's why you're seeing a 27-year low in the percentage of homes being bought by first-time buyers because the jobs that they got do not pay enough to buy a house. That's why so many voters are dissatisfied with the economy. Sure, maybe they got one of those jobs. Maybe one of the voters that voted Republican did get a job, but it's a lousy job. They wanted a full-time job, and they're stuck with a part-time job. The pay is bad. The benefits don't exist. His health care costs are going up, and so he's blaming Obama. And so even though he still believes in big government, he just doesn't think the Democrat version of big government is working for him right now. So he's hoping that the Republican big government plan will work out a little better. And also, I mentioned that a lot of these voters— who, or who now have jobs are people who were collecting unemployment benefits last year. And they could have gotten jobs last year, but they turned them down because the pay wasn't high enough to, uh, you know, to, to make it worth giving up their unemployment benefits. But once the extended unemployment benefits ran out, right, well, now they don't have the luxury of turning down a low-paying job because they need the money. And so now they're taking these low-paying jobs, and that's why there are so many jobs being created. And in fact, businessmen were reporting last year and the year before that that they couldn't hire people, that to the extent that they needed uh, somebody to do a low-paying job, they couldn't find anybody willing to give up their unemployment check. And, and so it was difficult. So that now that you know people don't have that option, it is easier to get uh, the workers that you need for these types of positions. But that is going to run out. You know, that bottleneck is now freeing up and it's not going to be there in 2015. I think, again, if you look at all of the retail sales numbers and the consumer spending numbers that have been coming out recently, you'll see that the consumer is under distress, that the lifeline provided by low oil prices isn't enough. And by the way, you know, I'm looking at all these reporters talking about this huge benefit of lower oil prices, right? I hear them on CNBC figuring out how much money the average person spends on gasoline over the course of a year. And they're saying, well, this is like an extra $1,000 over the course of the next year, assuming that these oil prices are going to stay below $80 a barrel for the next year. How do they know how long they're going to be down here? Maybe they're not even going to be down here for more than a month or two, and then they're right back up. They're just assuming that the consumer is going to get a windfall for the entire year, I mean, there's a lot of volatility in the oil market, so I wouldn't just assume 
that this price is a permanent reduction in the price of oil. It could just be a temporary reduction. And the irony of it is the reason oil prices are falling is because of the economic slowdown, not only globally, but here in the United States. Look, oil prices collapsed in 2008. Oil went all the way down to $35 a barrel, right? It dropped from 150 right? Was that a good sign? No, it was a lousy sign. Why were oil prices collapsing? Because the whole economy, global economy was collapsing. Meanwhile, did oil prices stay at $35 a barrel? No, they went back up to $115, $120 before pulling back. So it didn't last long, right? But the reason the price collapsed was bad. And you could have said, well, sure, consumers benefited from cheaper oil. Yeah, they did. But those benefits were more than offset by the fact that a lot of people lost their jobs. So the fact that gasoline was cheaper didn't even matter because they didn't even need the gas because they didn't have to drive to work. And so, yes, you are going to see a small reduction in gas prices for a while. But that is going to be more than offset by higher prices for other consumer goods and by a weaker economy. That's what's happening. So in any event, we're going to get the government's, you know, government's version of the jobs data on Friday. And so this is the big number that everybody is looking for. And we'll see what these numbers are. Again, even if the numbers come out in line, there's a limit to how many of these low paying uh, part time service sector jobs are going to be created. And as I just mentioned, because of the the weakness in consumer spending. And retail sales. And look at it. I mean, retailer after retailer, both online and brick and mortar, they're all coming out with bad numbers. Look at look at Michael Kors yesterday. You know, the stock way down. They were said that our sales are down because the mall traffic is down. Well, why? Why is the mall traffic down? Right? Well, I mean, it's, is, is it because they're all shopping online? No, because online uh, sales are weak. It's mall traffic is down because Americans don't have money to spend. Right? They're spending all their money on necessities. They don't have anything left over, even with the lower gas prices. So I think that this anticipation of this robust second half recovery that is not going to materialize, right? GDP is not going to be nearly as robust in the second half as people think. And I believe that by next year, absent QE4, we will be back in recession. But when this highly touted, right, highly publicized recovery does not right, emerge when it's exposed as the mirage that it is, as an illusion, I don't know why the results of this election and the exit polls don't dispel that illusion. Because, again, all the reporters are scratching their head. Why the big disconnect? Why is Obama getting blamed for a weak economy when the economy is great? This is the best economy we've had in years. We have this great recovery. Why are 75% of the voters saying the economy is going in the wrong direction? Don't they like recoveries? Well, they would like a recovery if we had one. Now, there are some people who think the economy is doing well, right? Certainly, there's at least 1% who think the economy is doing well because from their perspective, right, it is doing well. Uh, but they're just measuring it by their stock portfolios or maybe the value of their vacation homes. But the people who are voting, right, you can't really win elections, uh, you know, because 1% of the population is seeing the value of their financial assets rise. But I think that when these hopes 
you know, run smack into reality, you're going to get a big pickup in layoffs. They're going to come back. And a lot of companies that have been holding on to their workers because they know that this recovery is just around the corner and they don't want to fire people just to have to rehire them and retrain them. You want to retain your workers if you're optimistic about a recovery. And as these businessmen, you know, throw in the towel on this recovery because they realize they bought a bill of goods, then I think you've got all this pent up layoffs that will be unleashed. And so I'm looking for these unemployment numbers to turn back north uh, by next year. And so then you're going to have a sinking economy, rising unemployment. And what's going to happen then, of course, is you're going to have quantitative easing and you're going to have both uh, President Obama, the media and whoever is going to be running for president in 2016 as a Democrat, blaming it all, blaming it all on the Republican controlled Congress, right? A return to trickle down economics, do nothing, obstructionist Congress came in and reigned on Obama's recovery. Meanwhile, the voters who just voted Republican are going to forget about the fact that they were blaming Obama for the bad economy because the economy will be worse. It will be much worse in two years, and that they'll be able to blame with the help of the media and the help of Obama. And again, Hillary Clinton or whoever is running as a Republican, they'll be able to blame it on uh, the Republicans. So again, this is this is not something that means, hey, 2016 is going to be a cakewalk. We're rid of Obama. We're going to have a Republican president. We're going to repeal Obamacare. We're going to have all these free market reforms. We're going to reform the tax code. Uh, We're going to reform entitlements. None of that's going to happen. In fact, if you actually had any candidates who were talking about entitlement reform, cutting Social Security or cutting Medicare or anything like that, they wouldn't have got elected. The reason these Republicans got elected is because they didn't step on any of those third rails. Right. They promised to be almost like Democrats, except not. Right. So because they're a bunch of rhinos, nothing is going to happen. It's business as usual. Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.